Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Inna alhamdulillahi na'hamaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu wa nasta'hdi'u ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا فمن يهده الله فلا مدل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله ثم أما بعده. So now we're coming to the eighth of a series of نصائح of advices that one of Imam Ghazali's teachers said that he learned from his teachers. He said, He said, I've noticed, indeed I've noticed that everybody relies on something created. Everybody relies on something created. So this chapter, this advice, is going to be about reliance upon God. You know, the word for reliance upon God is tawakkul. Tawakkul. And it literally means to take God as your trustee. Right? The word in Arabic, wakil, is like a trustee, a guarantor. The one that will protect your interest is your wakil. Right? The wakil has no other role. If you are meeting about business, your attorney is your wakil. If a woman is getting married, her father, her brother, her uncle, this is her wakil. He has no interest in the other person and what the other person needs. I am here to protect your interest and your interest only. This is a wakil. The word tawakkul means to take God as your wakil. This is the one that protects me. This is the one that looks after my interests. This is the one that will, you know, um, the, the word I'm thinking about is quicken, but this is the one that will aid me, support me. And it's important right away to recognize that tawakkul has a deep theological dimension. Because there are some people, and in philosophical circles, this is called the God of the philosophers. People who believe in God as an uncreated creator of things. God is the first cause. So in order for them to get out of this infinite regress of who made this and who made this and who made this and who made this, they say, okay, we will acknowledge that creation needs a creator. So God creates. But after God creates, it is the laws of nature that govern the cosmos, right? This is called deism, right? Many of the founding fathers, among them Thomas Jefferson, he was a deist, right? We believe in a creator God, but we don't believe in revelation. We don't believe in prophets. We don't believe, we certainly don't believe in miracles. That was like the anathema of a deist was, a, I don't believe in, because we don't believe that God engages with people like that. Right? There's no use in praying. Yes, okay, we will acknowledge just for the sake of philosophy, a creator. 
okay, something created, maybe it has a creator. But I don't believe that you can appeal to that creator by praying. I don't believe that that creator intervenes in the affairs of human beings. I don't believe anything like that. That's all fictitious. That's all mythological. When you say, I rely on God, you are doing more than just affirming his existence. You're saying, no, no, I have a personal relationship with this creator. This creator listens to my prayers. This creator protects me. This creator supports me. You know, I was having lunch Sunday and a brother shared something with us that his sister shared with him. And she's a Christian woman. She said, don't you know, if God didn't answer prayers, people would have stopped praying a long time ago. And I thought it was simple, but it was profound. If God didn't answer the prayers of people, people wouldn't pray. But all over the world, in different languages, people that belong to different religious traditions, people pray. Why? Because they've seen the power of prayer in their lives. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says what? فَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قُرِيبُ أُجِيبُ دَعْوَةَ الدَّاعِ If my servant calls upon me, tell them, tell him, tell her, I am close. I respond to every supplicant that calls upon me. And that is the Rahmah. See, when you're thinking about God that created the Milky Way, God that created the laws that govern the cosmos, the laws of physics, photosynthesis, the earth going around on its axis, revolving around the sun. Yes, that God you can call on and say, I'm really worried about how I'm going to do on this exam. Help me. That God. Every day God is involved with something. And he's still never too busy for you, right? You know, one of my teachers would talk to us about prayer. And he would say, think about a world leader or a king or a financial leader or a cultural leader. Think about how difficult it would be to secure 30 minutes with them. And how would you feel in terms of feeling honored if you were given 30 minutes with them? Hey, look. Barack said, go in, you got 30 minutes to talk to him. How would you feel? You can share anything you want. I don't know if anybody would feel honored to talk to Joe Biden. I understand. I shouldn't have said that. He, he strikes me as a very nice man, actually. Yeah. It seems he has a, a very feeble political will. But he strikes me as a very nice man. But if you were given you know, a private audience with someone like that for 30 minutes, and all of us would feel, you know, honored. He said, we're talking about Melikul Emleki, the king of kings, the creator of everything. You can appeal to him and have a private audience with him whenever you want to. Whenever you want to. And then he said, think about your uh, devotional prayer and your dua in two separate ways. He said, your devotional prayer, your dawn prayer, 
your afternoon prayer, your late afternoon prayer, your sunset prayer, your night prayer. So Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha. These are like formal meetings with Allah, right? And even then, he leaves space for you to determine exactly when. He didn't say exactly at 1.15. Uh, between 1.15 and 4.30, 5.30 if you're Hanafi, right? The space is there for you, you can, right? And then he said, and your dua, this is like calling on Allah. You don't need any formality. You don't have to prepare in a special way. You just call on him whenever you want to. In almost any circumstance, this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we say that we rely upon God, we're not only affirming his existence, we're saying something about his, dare I say, not personality, but his attributes, who he is. Not only do I believe he exists, but I know him. You know, the Prophet Sallallahu he said in an authentic hadith, He said, dua, prayer, calling upon God from your own heart not with any formulas that you've memorized or things that you do by ritual, but this is something you do by inspiration. He said, this is the essence of worship. And I spent time trying to figure that out. And one day I was reading Ibn Ta'illah Sakandari. And he says, you know why dua is mukhul ibadah? Why dua is the essence of worship? Because one thing that can be observed in almost all people is that when they're talking and smoke is billowing into their face. No, I'm just kidding. One thing that can be observed about almost all people is that we only ask people to help us that we actually believe can help us. If I know that somebody is financially destitute, if I know that someone is broke, would I ask them for a loan? If I know this is a person that is financially you know, unstable, would I say, hey man, could you help me out with, uh, could you float me something? I'm, I'm in a difficult circumstance. I wouldn't ask because I know you don't have any money. If I know somebody has a very demanding job, and they can hardly find a few minutes in the day to do anything for anyone else. Would I ask them to take me to the airport? I know they don't have time. If I know that someone is a coward, would I ask them to come and stand with me in a time of difficulty? I know this person is a coward. When you ask God to help you, you are affirming, I believe that God will help me. Right, And one of our teachers, he said, you know, and Arabic is a very beautiful language. You know, Arabic, Arabic has details in it that just amaze you. He said, you can look at a, like a, a linguistic form, like fi'lul uh, amr, like giving a, a, a verb in the command form. So for instance, if I say if al, that means do something, do it, right? 
If I say, if I do to someone and I'm their superior, meaning, you know, in some hierarchical way, I'm considered to be over them. That statement is taken as what? A like a, a, a command. So if I say to my son, if I, it's a command to him. But if I say to someone that is my peer, right? If I, it's intimas. Now I'm, I'm requesting of them saying, because they really don't have to do anything that I said, right? I, I'm not in a position to command them. If I said to you guys, do something in Arabic, right? If I'll, I'm not in any position to command you. I'm appealing to you to do something. If I say to someone who is my superior, so if I say to my wife, no, I'm just kidding. Right? If I say to someone who is my superior, if I do something, this is a petition, right? Same word each time, but it's about the status of the two individuals. If I say to someone who is my superior, do this, I'm petitioning them, do this, right? And if I say to Allah, if I'll, it's dua, it's prayer. So he said, when we pray to Allah, we speak to him in command verbs. We say, Ya Rabbul Alameen, do this, do this. Have mercy on this person and have mercy on that person and bless this person and give this person success. He said, do you know why you're commanding Allah? Because using the command form is an indication of your certainty that God will do it. Do this. And it's not considered... Um, like a lack of manners. It's actually the sunnah of the Prophet to use fi'l al-amr when you make dua. It's not considered like, Ya Rabbul Alameen, if you want to, I mean, I'm in no position to tell you what to do. You're God, right? you're God, you can do whatever you want to do. But if you want to have mercy on my parents, please have mercy on my parents. No, you say, have mercy on my parents. You say, this is difficult for me. Make it easy for me. This is how dua is supposed to be made. Because if you don't make dua with certainty, there's no use in making it. Right? You make dua, I know that you can do this. You know, I remember I was talking to one of my teachers about the power of certainty. And he gave me a strange example of what certainty does because it was, a, it was an example from a movie, a vampire movie, right? And he said that there was a priest that was very sincere and there was a skeptic and the vampire bursted into a room and both of them were there. And the priest grabbed a crucifix and put it up like this, right? And the vampire was like incapacitated when the priest grabbed the crucifix. It's like, so then the vampire turned his attention to the skeptic. And the skeptic being an opportunist, he said, he took the crucifix from the priest and he put it up. And then the vampire took the crucifix, stabbed the skeptic in the neck. And as the blood squirted all over the room, the vampire started drinking the blood. And my teacher said, what was the difference? They both did the same thing. No, the priest actually believed that this had some power when he did it. It was his faith 
The skeptic didn't believe. He just did it opportunistically. Well, it worked for him. Maybe it'll work for me. It didn't work for him. He said, so when you make dua, are you making dua with certainty? Allah is listening to me. Allah will help me. Allah will answer my prayer. This is how your prayers get answered. But if you make dua like the skeptic, uh, you know, they keep telling me to pray about it. Maybe I'll try that. Oh, Allah, if you're listening, if you're really up there, I could use a little help right now. All right, but okay, talk to you later. <laughs> if you make dua like that, you're like the skeptic. You have to believe in what you're doing. He said, some people rely on money. If you ask them, what is it that gives you a sense of security in the dunya? They will say, my money, right? The kind of people that check their mobile banking app multiple times daily just to make sure it's still there. Whew. Just check my account at 11.15, still looking the same at 11.20. Right? Because they believe that their security somehow is in those dollars. Right? This is what will, if things really get difficult, I know what's going to save me. Money, it will save me. It saved a lot of people before me, right? Wrong wrong right he said and some people property not just money but property they believe that being in possession of land being in possession of a lot of things will give them safety will give them security you know subhanallah when I was in um, the last year at Al-Azhar University, my roommate was um, a white American Muslim named John Halliwell. John, if you're listening, I love you, brother. That was, that was, and that's even now, that's still my man. I love John. And he was a very broadly read person, you know, and I'm, I kid you not. I don't mean to embarrass you, John, if you're listening. But he would wake up in the morning, he would read some Quran, then he would read German poetry. He read German poetry out loud. I'd be like, this is, this is a strange fellow. <laughs> you know? Then he might do calculus. His major was classical, was Arabic literature. I would say, why are you doing calculus? Just to keep my mind sharp. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just to keep my mind sharp, right? Then, he would study econ. He would study econ sometimes for like months, right? He was a very, very interesting guy. So I would try to follow his reading list. What are you reading now? Okay, let me read it. What do you read? Okay, let me read it. And he, he, he recommended this book to me called The Denial of Death by Ernest Becker. And Ernest Becker's central thesis, I don't believe Ernest Becker was Muslim. 
But his central thesis was that in as much as human beings have a, a, you know, an active consciousness, we are able to conceptualize our mortality. We know that we won't be here forever. And Ernest Becker said, this produces in us this like unyielding anxiety, that we have a lot of anxiety. And the only way that we can be relieved of that anxiety is through trying to achieve a kind of cosmic heroism through which we feel like we will attain quote unquote salvation. He wasn't religious, he was just an anthropologist. And he said, some people seek that cosmic heroism through money, some people through exploits on the battlefield, some people through relationships, some people through scientific inquiry, et cetera, et cetera. But everybody wants to feel just a little more comfortable with being a mortal man or a mortal woman. And as I was reading this, I was thinking, this is what Tawakwil is all about. Just being, look, God is in control now. God was in control before I came to this world. God will be in control as I'm leaving this world. God will be in control after that. And with that, I have some measure of peace, security, comfort. And everybody is searching for that. You know, the word Iman comes from the same root as Emin. Emin is security. It's security. It's to have Iman. It's security. You know, I was talking with Will Caldwell. And he said that he was listening. You know, Will Caldwell listens to some of the strangest podcasts on the internet. But that's my man. I love him. I love Will Caldwell. But he really does, though. And he said that he was listening to a conversation between, get this, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Howard Stern. And both of them were lamenting the fact that they were going to die. Because, you know, they're getting older. And he said, I mean, you know, we've worked so hard to build this life for ourselves. And sooner or later, we're going to have to leave it all. And I thought, subhanAllah, this is what it means to have a lack of tawakkul. Because if you believe that God has been taking care of me all of this time, there's no istighna. I don't believe that I've done it myself. Even with the end of my life, I still believe that God is still going to take care of me. God has been taking care of me all of this time. I believe God will continue to take, whatever brought me here will continue to carry me. Right? This is tawakkul. But if you don't have that, then how you try to alleviate that guilt, how you try to alleviate that anxiety, maybe it's through money, maybe it's through property, maybe it's through things, but we all want to alleviate that anxiety. I was driving down the street. I saw somebody with a license plate border that said, he who dies with the most toys wins. And the thing that was crazy about it, it wasn't even on a nice car. I said, I, I guess you lose it. <laughs> I guess, I guess, what a terrible outlook. He who dies with the most toys wins. I said, your car isn't even nice. La ilaha illallah. Where, where, where are we? 
Where are we? Right? But if you rely upon God, now you feel some safety. Man, look, God is the one doing. God is the one doing. God will always be the one doing. My safety is in that now. Whenever I think about death, that's the only thing that gives me any solace. God is doing now. God will be doing then. Before I came to this planet, God was doing. Right? That's Tawakwa. These are the fruits of Tawakwa. I rely on God. He continues, وَبَعْدُهُمْ إِلَى مَخْلُوقٍ مثلي. And some people, they rely on other creatures just like themselves, right? There's some person, you know, I would always think whenever I would think about Tawakkul or teach about Tawakkul, I would always say, you know, if one of us was connected to a really influential person and we ran into some difficulty. The first thing we do would probably be what? Either to drop their name, to call them, to make our association with them known, right? The police officer pulls me over. You know how fast you were going? <clears throat> um, maybe you've heard of her, Lori Lightfoot. It's my auntie, man. Yeah. Through who? My father's sister. She's an only child. My father's adopted, man. No, I just, I just, right? No, but if you feel that there's an influential person that can get you out of a jam, if there's an influential person that you can rely on when things get difficult, you mention them. Why is it that when we get in tight situations, we don't even ask Allah? We don't even ask Allah, subhanAllah. We don't even ask Allah. We would turn to, now again, Allah is the Khaliq. He's the Musabib. Everything in creation, these are the Asbab. These are the means. I'm not saying don't take an aspirin if you have a headache. I'm not saying don't seek the help of a therapist if you need help. I'm not saying don't prepare food if you're hungry. But whatever you need, ask God first. First ask God, first turn to Allah. Then seek the means that God has placed before you to address or furnish your need. But ask God first. You know, many scholars writing about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they say one of the key uh, distinctions or one of the key differences between God and people is that when you ask of people, they will eventually feel burdened by your asking. You know, when you've asked somebody for something, time, and after a while, it's like you don't want to ask them anymore. You're right? It's like if I ask somebody to borrow money, then I, I ask them again. Third time, I'm probably gonna ask a second person, Adnan, can you help me out, man? I've already hit my brother a few times. You know, it's almost like, why? What, what is that feeling? I really want, why is it that if, if I've asked someone to do something for me, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna ask them too much. Why do you think that is? Because you're bothering them. 
You don't want to be a burden upon them. You don't, maybe this will seem burdensome. Maybe this will seem cumbersome. Or you don't want them to think that you assume this is their responsibility. I don't want you to think that I just think you're supposed to pick me up from the airport. So I don't want to call and just keep asking. They say, you know the thing about Allah? Allah loves when you ask him because he is responsible. He does assume responsibility for taking care of you. He is the one that provides for you. He is the one that protects you. He never gets tired of your asking. You can't ask too much. Allah never says, man, you may do out 10 times. You gonna keep asking me? Really? Allah loves when you ask. You know, in one place, Imam Ghazali mentions that one of the benefits of tribulation, of experiencing tribulation, is that in tribulation, in a state of tribulation, you call upon Allah. You call upon Allah, and Allah loves that. So call upon Allah before you're in a state of tribulation, right? Because most people in a state of tribulation, we call upon God. We call upon God. You know, I fly often. Of course, I'm traveling, I'm teaching. And turbulence is it's just an interesting phenomenon, man. Even if you understand engineering and you know the plane has been engineered to withstand more turbulence than two jet streams can produce, there's still something about the plane oscillating in that way that just makes you feel uh, uh, unsafe. You know, whenever the plane you know, oscillates in that way, I just say to myself, and I'm 36,000 feet in the sky in a piece of steel being operated by a computer and two men, one of whom looked tired when I got on a plane. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> There's something about it that just makes you feel, ooh, right? They say the mu'min, the true believer, doesn't need to be in the sky 36,000 feet to feel that. She doesn't need to be at sea to feel that. She can feel that even with her two feet on the ground. You see, that, that, that kind of God is in control and I'm relying upon God. Right? We have a very pure experience of that kind of tawakkul when we are in situations that are clearly out of our control. So when a person is at sea, and they're looking at just the overwhelming magnitude of the cosmos, like the sky, the sea, and our vessel is just this little speck in this darkness, rocking back and forth, right? Water coming aboard the ship. You feel it. Allah, if you don't save me now, I don't have a savior. If you don't rescue me now, Nothing can come to my rescue. Why should you need to be at sea to feel that? Our goal should be realization of that reality all the time. All the time. If you don't save me now, nothing can save me. 
if you don't help me now, nothing can come to my assistance. Right? SubhanAllah. You know, crazy story. A brother told me that he was uh, of the habit of mentioning God's name first whenever he felt fear. If he felt afraid, he would say, Allah, Allahu Akbar, SubhanAllah. And it just became a habit of his. And he said that one night he was driving in his taxi. The passenger door was open. He was being negligent. He was being careless. Somebody opened the door, flashed the gun, give me all of your money. And the first thing he said, he said, Allah. He said, the person looked at him and jumped out of the car. I said, he probably was Muslim. <laughs> he was probably a Muslim. Oops, wrong guy. <laughs> you got any non-Muslim colleagues? Now, stuck for the right? But the first thing he said when he felt fear is Allah, right? This is something we want to habituate ourselves to. The first thing we mention, Allah. Oh my God, my God, Allah, help me, right? Rather than picking up the telephone and trying to dial someone, thinking who's gonna help me with this? Who can do this? Who can do this? Allah can do this. The first thing I do is I call on Allah. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Quran, the story of Musa alayhi salam. Musa committed an act of manslaughter. And you know, I have no uh, qualms about talking about the past of Musa. Because when you talk about the past of Musa, it reveals a very important truth. Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Musa, Kalim Allah, the one to whom God spoke directly, committed an act of manslaughter. He was living in the palace of Pharaoh, but he himself was an Israelite. And the Israelites, they were an oppressed class in Egypt. And Musa, he was aware of this, but he also felt kind of some survivor's guilt because being, by all, for all intents and purposes, the stepson of Pharaoh, he really didn't experience what all of the other Israelites experienced, right? He, he didn't experience that. So he was out running an errand, doing something, and he saw an Israelite being aggressed by an Egyptian. And the Israelite said, Musa, right? He was well known. Help me. And without inquiring about what happened, who was at fault, who did what, he allowed the partisanship of he's an Israelite, I'm an Israelite. He just ran up and struck the Egyptian. Some people say it was actually the blow, the wakas that caused the death of the Egyptian. Some people say that he struck him and he fell back. That he struck him, he fell back, experienced some type of head trauma, hemorrhaging there, and then he died. So it, was, it wasn't intentional, like it wasn't murder one, but he did try to strike him, he didn't try to kill him. 
but the Egyptian died. Musa and the Israelite take the body of the Egyptian and they bury it, right? They bury it. They try to cover it up. Did anybody see what happened? The next day, the same Israelite is arguing with another Egyptian. He sees Musa. Musa, I know what you can do. I know, I know who you are. Again, they're doing it again. Help me, the same thing. And Musa said something that we should really consider. Those of us that feel great partisanship toward our people, our country, we're very uh, 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 patriotic and nationalistic. And Musa said, you again? I think that you're a troublemaker. This two days in a row, you're fighting with someone? Maybe the problem is you. The Israelite was offended. So what, you, you're turning against me? You're turning against me? Maybe you're gonna try to kill me like you killed that man yesterday. Can you believe this, man? When people heard this, everybody fixed their glances on Musa. You killed somebody? Musa started, he takes flight, he runs. He just, he just runs, he just flees, right? The authorities are informed. Now he's a fugitive from justice. This is Musa, the, the messenger of God. He's a fugitive from justice now. The tafsir of the story in Surah Al-Qasas, its fullest version is in the 28th chapter of the Quran. They said that Musa was so hungry. He was so thirsty. He had become so emaciated that he was nearly like flesh and bone. And he saw a group of people at a well. And when he first saw the well, he got excited. Oh my God, there's some water. But these people were getting water for their livestock at the well. And there were two women that wanted to get water for their livestock, but nobody would give them a turn. The men were just crowding the space and they weren't allowing these women to get water for their livestock. And Musa, with the last strength that he had in his body, he decided to help them. He started pushing those men out of the way. These women, give them, a, give them a chance. Be fair, they should have access to the well too. Move, move, move. And then those women, they watered their flocks. And then the Quran says, Musa withdrew to some shade. And he sat down and he said, Rabbi, inni lima anzalta alayya, no, inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir. He said, oh my Lord, I am in dire need of any good you've sent to me, right? And he just rested. This dua, inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqir. I am in dire need of any good you've sent to me. They said, and he just sat there and waited. And some people say a day later, those two women came back to him and they said, 
our father. We told him about what you did for us. We told him about how you helped us. And he wants to give you some reward. Can you follow us? Right? And Allah Ta'ala mentions that they came to him with great shyness. And Musa could sense, right, that they were sa'awjasa. Like they were like, uh, they were like concerned. So he said, you know what? I will walk in front of you so that you don't have to have any concern about me watching you or, and whenever I'm supposed to go left, just throw a stone in that direction. Whenever I'm supposed to go right, just throw a stone in that direction because I want you to be completely comfortable. SubhanAllah, what a gentleman, right? Think about how it might be. You know, it's like, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll walk with you home. But, you know, I'm walking right beside you. You don't even know me. I'm a stranger. Maybe you're uncomfortable. No, I'll walk in front of you. Whenever I'm supposed to go left, throw a stone in that direction. If I'm supposed to go right, throw a stone in that direction, and we'll get there. Musa arrives to where they live, and the first thing their father says, I want to give you a job. I want you to work for me. I'm old, I'm weak, and I'm blind. I want you to tend to my livestock. I need someone strong like you. I want you to help me with my land, my crops. And I would like you to take the hand of one of my daughters in marriage. La ilaha illallah. One tafsir of this story is that in that moment of dire need, Musa prayed for good, and Allah gave him a means of supporting himself, and Allah gave him companionship. This is the goodness of this life, man. Allah gave him a means of supporting himself, and Allah gave him companionship. But the reason I'm citing this story is look at the dua that he made. Now, I'll say this, Amir already gave me the, the indication from the back of the room, right, that we're running out of time. But Ibn Ta'illah, in his book, At-Tanweer Fi Isqat Tadbir, which translates to the illumination that you experience in leaving what you've planned for yourself and embracing God's plan for you. Whenever you've planned something and it doesn't go the way you expect it, but it goes the way God wanted it to, and you learn how to float, you learn how to embrace that, you will experience light. You will experience illumination. And in this book, he says that Musa said, Inni lima anzelta. I am in need of the good that you've already sent down. That even in that moment, a fugitive from justice, skin and bones, weakened, hunted, he affirmed that there is already good that you sent down to me. I just don't know where it is. I just don't know how it's going to arrive to me. I don't know the means through which I'm going to get it, but I know that it's here. And my teacher said, what Ibn Al-Ta'ilab was saying there was when you are in a dire circumstance, like Musa was in a dire circumstance, your tawakkul, 
your reliance upon God. It demands that you say, there's, I believe there's good here. I know that you're listening to me. I know that you're supporting me. I know that you're protecting me. I'm just asking you to uncover where that support is. Uncover for me where that aid is. Show me where I'm supposed to go so that I can feel it. Show me who I'm supposed to talk to so that I can experience it. But I know it's here. That's Tawakkul. So the author, he says, فَتَأَمَّلْتُ فِي قَوْلِهِ تَعَالَى So I thought, thinking about all of these different things people rely on. I thought about the verse of Allah in which Allah says, he said, I thought about the verse, whoever relies on Allah, Allah is enough for her. Whoever relies upon God, God will be sufficient for them. MashaAllah. This is my co-instructor, MashaAllah. Inna Allah baligh amri. God's will will be done. Inna Allah baligh amri. God's will will be done. Whatever God has planned for you, it will be executed. Nothing, anything that God has written for you, his will will be done. You don't have to worry about that. He said, God has given everything its measure, right? Every intimate detail of our lives, God has already determined. God has given everything measure, so call upon him. You know, subhanAllah. One of the practices you should get into is asking Allah for exactly what you want and then asking Allah to give you exactly what you need. But you should ask Allah for exactly what you want, right? Exactly. You should not be reserved. You're talking to God. You should not be shy, right? This is not the time to settle. Well, you know, I mean, you know, at this point, I'll marry anybody. At this point, anybody, any, any, anybody, anybody, right? Anybody. No, that's not how you talk to Allah. That's not how you talk to Allah. <laughs> that's not how you talk to Allah. No, this is what I want. Someone loving, someone mature, someone that loves you, someone secure, someone, right? This, this is what I want. This is what I want. But then you say to Allah, but give me what's best for me and make me accept it. 
Because maybe you're thinking it's going to look like this, it's going to sound like this. Maybe it's something different than that. Maybe you were thinking a leather jacket and a motorcycle. Maybe it's an economy car and a windbreaker. Right? Maybe. Right? But ask for exactly what you want. Ask for exact, because if you don't ask for what you want, it belies not what you want, the one you're talking to. Do you know who you, you know, I, you know whenever I'm trying to explain do I to my children, I say to them, if I was sitting in a room with all of the stuff that you all love, toys and everything, and I said, ask me for whatever you want, and one of you said, Dad, can I just have a glass of water? 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 I have everything here. Yeah, Dad, but I just, just want some water. Okay, we'll have some water. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has treasures that are inexhaustible. Ask for whatever you want of them. And then say, but Allah, give me what I need, even if I don't know what it is. Right? Even if I'm unaware of what it is. Right? So he said, فَتَوَكَّلْتُ عَلَى اللَّهِ فَهُوَ حَسْبِي He said, so after that, my reliance is upon God. God is sufficient for me. He's the best trustee. He's the best guarantor. He's the best protection, the best security guard, the best advocate I could ever have. Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'leefcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.